0: God really put on my heart, and it's kind of what I shared part of Friday night with the youth, and I just feel like it's not just a word for teenagers, but for the body of Christ, for every believer, for every non-believer, for every human on planet Earth, and it's built around this reality of promise, and in first service, Charles hit it in the offering, and then second, I'm like, yes, he's prime. like, it's good when you get confirmation, like, oh, I'm on the right vein, like, I can now speak and not be like, I hope I'm not missing it, but... He spoke to this reality of promise and Abraham, and that's what I want to really talk about today is this reality of promise and the altars and the fire of God and the sacrifice that we make. So I'm going to talk about sacrifice today. If you just tuned out, come back, okay? Sacrifice, and I hope you'll see why I really don't want you to check out on this, because it is not something to be feared. And I feel like there's this beautiful thing that God set up for us in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. Obviously, sin was a reality. Death is the only payment for sin, right? The wages of sin is death, right? It has to happen. Sin causes death and God said, okay, we're gonna set up a sacrificial system of burnt offerings, you built an altar, and the priests would come and take the little lamb, which is, you know, wonderful, you know, in, place their hand on the head of the lamb and they would impute, which means to transfer the sins of the people to the animal. They would slit its throat, very, you know, very happy scene. And they would put it on the altar and burn it, right? Which is this like, okay, I don't totally understand, but there's so much rich depth in what that was and what God was preparing in the promise of what was said in the Garden of Eden when when God spoke to the serpent and said, yeah, you will strike his heel, the seat of the woman, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. That was a promise from God. And all of this painted this beautiful picture toward what happened right here in the midst of history was this cross. So from that to here, we have this system that God had set in place to to show the gravity and the cost of what sin does. And I love to, I challenge the kids, like put yourself in scripture when you read it. Don't read fairy tales, don't read fiction, read narrative of people's lives and go, these are Israelites that were, like grew up their whole lives, right? Doing this with like watching animals, you know? And it's like, why daddy? Because it's sin, you know? And how many of you have like a six to eight year old girl anywhere in there or young girl that just loves animals, you know? Those little girls were in Israel at that time, you know? Like, Mary had a little lamb, you know? Oh yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. Yes, put yourself there. There were children that walked and lived in this reality. And fun fact, my uncle did a family tree on our history and found a girl that lived in Massachusetts named Mary Sawyer, who was fabled and written a song after who brought her little lamb to school with her every day in my family tree. It's a real person. Anyway... Sidebar, how exciting is that, right? That has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, but now you know I'm famous. Anyway, um, yes, anyway, little known facts, right? You can check it on Um, (laughs) Ancestry.com. I don't know how I do this. Anyway, Charles said it well a few years back. ADD is a divine distraction. That was, the Lord took me somewhere. Um, On purpose. Um, Jesus. But these little children, these families, every so often and throughout the year, there'd be these sacrifices that had to be made. And all of those sacrifices were costly to their family, to their existence. They had to raise that lamb. They had to pay money for it. However However they took possession of that lamb or of that sacrifice, the doves, whatever, was a sacrifice that cost them. And that had to be then killed, laid on an altar, and the fire representing God came and consumed it completely. This representation of God saying, no, I consume sin. I take care of the problem, and it's gone. It's dealt with. And this is this crazy thing. We see this beautiful pattern all the way through history until we find ourselves at the cross. And it's very hard for us in our time and day in this culture and where we are in history to compare the living in this day and living the day after. Because these people that lived in this time that wrote much of our New Testament and Scripture lived in a full culture that was given to this reality of the cost of sin and what it costs. And suddenly there's this moment where the great and perfect sacrifice was brought that actually paid for the sins because the lambs never paid for them. They held the hand of God's wrath from his people out of obedience until the promise, the lamb of God came and was sacrificed. Now here's the difference. Here's what was one of the many things that's really profound about the cross is this was the sacrifice that wasn't consumed but was raised from the dead and lived. And we find that now in a pattern that says Romans 12.1 that commands us, Paul says, in light of God's great mercy, Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Living, every other sacrifice through all of history was a dying, consumed sacrifice. But Paul speaks to this thing on this side of the cross and says, no, living sacrifice. So we're gonna rewind and come back to that. But right here in the middle of this was what Charles touched on, is this beautiful, crazy, blow your mind, that happened called the promise that God gave Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 12, Genesis 15, we see God speak to this reality that you will be a father of many nations and the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And then in 15, he says, "Step out, step out and look at the stars. And if you can count them, that's your descendants. That's how many children you'll have. And God set a promise in place over Abraham That frankly existed way before this point. Do you understand that, that God operates and lives outside of time? So from from the foundations of the earth, the promise of Abraham had been established. It's now being revealed to Abraham at 75 years old. So I want to ask a question. How many of you have a promise over your life? Every hand should go up in this room. Whether you know what the promise is or not has nothing to do with whether the promise exists. God knew you before the foundations of the earth. He formed and crafted you and he doesn't make things without purpose. So there are promises upon your life that at somewhere along the way, God does and will give glimpses to what these promises are. And our job is to receive the glimpse and operate in obedience to steward what he gives us. Abraham got a piece of it in Genesis 12 when he's old already, so if you're older, going like, I don't know what the promises of God is, have hope. I know, we're like, I don't know. I might be in my 70s, and I'm not sure. Like, no, 70s are amazing. Come on, Abraham's hardly known until this point. Do you understand? Like, right? Receive that. I know, I'm getting the grays. I'm I'm speaking to my future, you know. Anyway, it's beautiful. I don't like, I hate that we live in a culture that doesn't honor the aged. Uh, anyway, that's right, Rick. So, Jesus, I know. We believe in the youth. We honor the old. This is like, should be the kingdom of God and is everywhere else. But America and this crazy society that youthfulness somehow equals a rival, you know. Anyway. Wow. So there are promises over your life that God has spoken and is already, has already, and will continue to reveal what those promises look like. He gives it to you in doses that you can handle. If God gave you the whole picture the first time, you'd probably fall down dead, right? I'm serious, we can't handle the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives in a moment, So he reveals things in seasons of life and opens doors for us to go, okay, I can believe that in faith, right? Abraham was considered righteous because he believed God. That was not the end of the story. That was not the last time he believed God. It was not the last. And this is what we see is finally and eventually, years and years after the promise is given and nothing seems to work, Abraham made a few missteps in the process going, well, God promised, so I'm gonna work it out. How many of us struggle with that one? I have a promise from God. I'm going to, like, and we try to build out the promise out of our own flesh and our own ability because God said, so I'm going to, I'm going to get with the right people and I'm going to, like, all this rather than go like, God, I believe in the promise. I want to hear what you tell me to do so I can move toward the promise in absolute righteous faith. Because you don't need a promise if you can create it. You know, like you don't need God if you can create your promise and your destiny. That's, that's for everybody, okay? So God released a promise over Abraham's life. Sorry, youth, I'm on this side of the stage because I'm talking about this side of the cross. It's not that I'm not talking to Get it? Cross is over here, okay? But in this place, Abraham eventually gets the promise kind of. Isaac is born, right? His son, 100 years old, Abraham was by this point. Like, about time, God, right? Like, don't lose hope in waiting for your promise to come in the perfect timing that God has laid out, and he will not mess you up. You could mess you up. He will not, because God is good in everything he does, is good. Your circumstances are not the determiner of whether God is good or not. He always is, Right? So we live in a faith realm that says, no, it's so good. My whole world is crashing around me. Nothing's working, but my God is good. Read Psalms. Right? Like David, like nothing circumstantially was what it should be. He got real with God, like this hurts. What in the world? But my God. But I know my God. This is this realm of faith that Abraham lived in in this crazy way. But he gets the promise six to eight-ish years later. We're gonna go to Exodus 22 and read this. If you wanna open to it, you can. It'll be on the screen as well. Isaac is a little boy. I don't know if we for sure know his exact age. I've yet to discover everything in the word of God. Sorry. Um, <laughs> not sorry, I'm working on it and it's wonderful. Um Sometime later, so maybe it's supposed to be ambiguous, but I feel like, I picture Isaac as the six to eight-year-old. Because if he was 16, like my 16-year-old, he could have taken Abraham out. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, I'm pretty sure my kid could wreck me. So I think he's got to be young enough that Abraham at 100 years old can still handle him. Okay? Is that fair? This is real life. Okay? It's not that important, but put yourself in this, Okay? It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. He's listening. That's a good key. Remember that, right? He's listening and he replies. We can shut out the voice of God or we can say, Lord, okay. Simple little thing. I can't even get through one verse without a preach. I mean, come on. (laughs) Read the Bible. It's like, just stop and like, go like, God, there's so much depth in every line of scripture. And if you just read it for quantity, you're going to miss how deep it is. I'm just, anyway, I get sidetracked. ADD. There we go. Uh, Divine distraction. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. All right. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you now understand the context. They know what sacrifice means. This was not like a trick, like, hey, go do a sacrifice. Abraham's like, I don't know what that is. I guess I'll obey. No, he knew exactly what a sacrifice was. And God said, take your son, the promise that God gave you, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering in the time before the cross when sacrifices get consumed. You don't get it back, okay? Take the promise and put it on the altar. That's just a command from God. I love this next thing right here. It says, Verse 3, early the next morning, not after a 72-day fast and prayer and get all my intercessors, he obeyed God. The next morning he got up. How about that? I know it's not I'm not saying fasting for big decisions is bad, okay? Just but sometimes we overcomplicate obedience. Yeah, I know. Guilty, guilty. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, stop right there, there's depth, six to eight-year-old boy, a donkey, and a hundred-year-old man, three-day journey. That's not fun. Like, this is like, are you kidding? God, can we just go up the hill nearby? Like, now three days God takes him into obedience and by faith Abraham goes. all right, I'll obey. On the third day they got to the place where they saw it. In the, saw the place in the distance. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. I want you to say we really loud for me. We will worship and then, wait, 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 what? We. Will what? Come back. That is a faith statement that did not match the circumstances. Abraham knew that God is not a thief. He knew that God was good and he knew the promise was true. So while obeying against all odds, he declared in faith to his servants, we will go up and worship, stay here, and we will return. If he didn't believe it, he would have said we will go up to worship and return a little later. He would have kept it really vague. You know, like but no, he's like no, no, we. You can expect to see me and my son coming down that mountain. Cuz the promise of God is good and it's true and it's not up to us to make it happen. It's up to obedience before Lord, before the Lord. I love that. We will come back. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Just seems cruel at this point. He's like, you carry the wood. (laughs) Like, okay, you know, he's six or eight years old, probably going, okay, you know, they know the sacrifice, maybe he always carries the wood, I don't know. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. I would expect a six to eight-year-old boy, this is not the first time he spoke, but this is one that we need to know about, I guess. Isaac spoke up and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac understood this system. He knew the whole process. He's like, something's got to die up here. Where's the lamb? Abraham said, God himself, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Mm. And the two of them went on together. I guess Isaac was like, okay, you know, maybe he inherited some faith from his father. Maybe it was enough. Maybe he's going like, no, dad, I don't get that. Okay, but maybe, I don't know. Or maybe he's just trusting. And that was easy enough at that point. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar. There he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, I would not advise this as your pastor if you came and said, God told you to do this, okay? I grapple with that. I'm like, if someone came up to the altar, right? Said, the Lord told me to take my firstborn son and sacrifice him. I'm gonna tie him up, slit his throat, you know, and burn him. I would not be like, good, follow the Lord. You know, like, like, for real, this is like real people. Again, not fiction. How do we grapple with this? Like, you've got to know the voice of the Lord for sure. You can't depend on the other people around you to always know the voice of the Lord so you can figure it out. According to everybody else's opinion around you, you've got to learn to know the voice of the Lord. And that's not by doing all the right things. It's going like, no, I trust and I know what he's like. Because every single time, the way you respond to the word of the Lord has everything to do with how you think he is. Because if Abraham thought God was a cheat and a liar and a thief, he would have been like, nope, not doing that. You're gonna take my promise away. (laughs) He had learned his lesson a couple times, you know, trying to do it his way. He's like, nope, now I gotta do it. I'm gonna just do it God's way this time. Can we learn from our mistakes? So he bound him up. You can picture Isaac go, Dad, this doesn't, this, this is not how this goes. Dad, dad, (laughs) dad. It's not just a fun prank, you know. And then he says he lays him up on the wood. He's going, Dad. Right? Come on. Can you picture it? Daddy, what? I thought you said the lamb was going to cut. Like, why am I up here? He knows real life. Sacrifice is costly. And then, just to make it more, he takes the knife and raises it over his head to slay his son. Obedience to the end. But guess what he also does? Because you can get one word from God and chase it. And miss the next word from God and miss it. So in the midst of this faith journey where he's like, I know you're good, I know you're good. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I know you're good. God, 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 I'm listening. I'm not shutting out God because my circumstances suck. Sorry. Some of you don't like that word. Anyway. But he had his ear open and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord says, do not lay your hand upon him. And Abraham looks up and caught in the thicket is a ram right there. And Abraham goes, like, for real, like, put yourself right there, fathers. The ram. And it says God named that place, or Abraham named that place, God will provide. He meant it. It wasn't a cute name. It wasn't a cool slogan. It was like, God will provide. Like, that's a memorial and a a moment when you go like, wow. And I think many of us, probably all of us at some point have been at point point break and God has come through and we can memorialize those moments and see that God is good and remember for the next time when things don't line up and our circumstances don't seem like the promise, we can lean in and go, no, God is good. I already saw it. And trust him yet again in that place and in that moment. What does that look like? And I'm gonna try to do this fast. Couple visual aids. None of this is real gold. Don't get excited. It's plastic. You know, Amazon and a friend who likes rocks loan me this. This is a rock. Let's just say we've got 1,000 grams of gold right here and let's say there's a thousand grams of gold wrapped up in this rock that I dug out of a mountain, right? Because I'm lucky. Um, Which is worth more? What? They're equal. A thousand grams of gold is a thousand grams of gold and the value is established by what's there. What's the difference? What? One needs process. And one's ready to be used. I take this to a jeweler and say, make me a really beautiful piece. He'd be like, I can do that, but first I need to take it down to my friend who's gonna put it through a process and refine it and get rid of all the impurities and make it ready to be used for the purposes. Do you understand what this looks like? Your value, whether you're here and need a lot of work and a lot of process or whether you're here and have been refined and ready for use for God's hand, The value isn't changed. So stop believing that this devalued you. Because guess what? The promise of God was there before all the impurity and all the rock got mixed up. God saw the gold and he said, that's you. And then we get our lives all mixed up in the impurities and the things that come with life and all that. And then we look and say, well, God must not value me anymore because I have the power to tell God how to value me. By the way, I messed it all up. Well, welcome to the goodness of God who said, no, your value was, your value is, and will be. Let's process you in the fire of a living sacrifice that doesn't get consumed. Just the crap that shouldn't be gets consumed in a living sacrifice. That's really good news. This is the gospel, the cross, Shifted it. Now we are a living sacrifice that walks away from the fire. We throw ourselves on the altar with joy because God is good. And we submit our lives to what needs to be burned. For crying out loud, the fire is good. We get so afraid of the altar. That's why we call it an altar. (laughs) Throw your life on the altar and let the fire of God's Holy Spirit come with joy, not with like, oh my gosh, what if it messes up my career? Oh my gosh, if it messes up your career, your career was crap. Like, oh no. I know, for the teenagers, right? Like, what if I'm not popular because I burned for Jesus? Oh. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, so that's good. The fire of God is joy, unspeakable because of what happened right here in the middle at the cross of Christ. Fire is for you. And to receive it is like, oh, I'm getting an upgrade because he's preparing me to reveal and reflect his glory and to be used and made and purposed into something to bring glory in the earth all around me. Which of these two would be more popular if I said, who wants you pick? You want popularity? Get refined. And the world will come desperately seeking you like they did Jesus in the flesh because he was refined. (laughs) He was perfection. None of this. He's what you were designed to be from the beginning of the earth. Pure and holy for the purposes and the glory of God. You want success in your career. You want popularity. You want to be good at things. Submit to the fire with joy. Go like, God, this might hurt a little, but I love it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It says in Malachi 3, it's almost a prophecy to the cross. The last book of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we get this little statement. He sits as the refiner of silver. This is what this looks like. Fire is about to do something different in your life because now you're a living sacrifice that leaves the altar better than you got on it because the non-essential stuff that you were not created for gets consumed because God's fire is still powerful and it still deals with sin the way it ought to. And God didn't stop hating sin at the cross. It's still a reproach to humanity and the image of God that you were created to reveal. Sin still hurts and fire's the only way. To cleanse it, to purify it and bring forth your full potential. Stand up with me. I think there's a lot of different people in a lot of different places in the world in this room today. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I've heard about the God thing or I'm just like, I don't know. The fire of God is your answer. I don't know how, it's a faith thing. Abraham was like, we will come back. He had no clue how that was gonna work. And you may have no clue how it's gonna work, but there's something burning in your heart this morning. And your heart is saying, I need this fire. And your body is saying, don't you dare go to the altar. Your body is your flesh. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's the part that needs to get destroyed. So if your heart is saying I need to go get up on that altar and receive the fire of God to cleanse my life deny your flesh and respond to the spirit and let him let walk out of here purified degree to degree to degree it's not a once and done it's it's powerful and it's awesome and it'll change your life forever but you'll need it again and you'll need it again and you'll need it again because the altar is always open on that side of the cross, right over here. It's like, and it's not costly like it was. It's only gain to lose what you can't take with you anyway and what you were never meant to have. So that's all over this room. There's addictions, there's sexual addictions. That is not a teenage issue. Ladies and gentlemen, pornography, masturbation, self-pleasure, self-harm, depression, all of it, burn it, Holy Spirit, come on, come on, we have to say this stuff in church, people, because they're saying it plenty everywhere else, oh, I don't know, uh, come on, Nothing can be burned that doesn't get put on the altar. You leave it off on the side and burn the part you wanna burn, that's still there when you walk away. All of it. And this is a church issue, this sexual thing. Gosh, what a destructive reality to the family of God is the very thing that creates family, gets twisted, corrupted, and a whole bunch of additions that make it really unusable And the world is tired of looking at the church going, they suck at it. Why would I want that version of family, that whatever? I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just calling it for what it is because it's real. And the church is meant to shine and be purified only by the fire, not by, okay, this week I'm gonna do it. I know I talk to teenagers on repeat all the time that have gone like eight, nine, 10, 100 rounds of, okay, that's the last time I'm looking at that. In their flesh, they're like, nope, I'm going to grip my teeth and I will not, not. You can't start a fire that only the Holy Spirit can start. You can't, no, you put yourself on the altar and the fire of God comes. And it's the only way to burn away what you think you can in your flesh deal with and grapple with. Watch the gold find its way out of that rock. Come on, come on, you can do it, think hard. No, you submit yourself to the fire and you trust the refiner to do his job. Come on, oh man, I'm sorry. We're gonna go real fast to this. Come to the front if you need fire in your life for whatever. If your heart's burning, it might be fire time for you and we're gonna pray for you up here. I got a whole bunch of youth staff that are like super primed up after a weekend of watching God move. And the fire of God transforming lives and they're gonna come lay hands on you. Don't be freaked out if that scares you, get over it. Fear is not to be in the presence of God. So don't be afraid. Don't let your flesh hold you back there because you'll walk out with the flesh if you stay there. Come to the front. If you have kids, I need you to go get them as soon as possible because they think it's one Thirty one forty, okay? They, are, they don't know how to change their clocks, okay? I need you to go get your kids in just a second. I'm gonna bless everybody, but you can keep coming. Go get your kids, bring them up. They need fire too. Go get your babies and have an encounter in the presence of God with them. Jesus, what a powerful reality, right? Don't go, yeah. So God, I bless what you wanna do in this place, Holy Spirit, only you. Only you can deal with the impurities, God. Only the fire of your Holy Spirit can make us a holy living sacrifice. So we come to the altar, God. And I bless every person in this room, God, and every promise that you have and have yet to reveal. That faith would rise up in this house and in this body that we would just believe that God is good and he will only do good for us all the days of our lives. I bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, come on. Don't don't leave if you want prayer. Unless you gotta go get your kids and come back, we'll stay and pray. But everyone else, you are released and blessed. Have an amazing week, we love you. Yay, thank you, Jesus.